the Banff and in that area, and every turn of the road, and there are a lot of turns in the road, you only can think of one word, and it's wow, and wow. Oh, that last wow is nothing. Wow, this is a real wow. And then another wow, majestic. How do you feel when you sit on the shore of the great ocean and you listen to the waves pounding against the rocks and you realize what power there is there? Or maybe you're in a plane, you look out the window of a plane after they've gotten it up to 25 or 30,000 feet and you're looking down on the earth below thinking all kinds of thoughts. How do you feel sitting in a stadium with 40,000? I've been in a stadium with uh, 60,000 and the people are cheering and they're all around you and they're pulling for their team. It's pretty exciting. When you look up into the sky on a clear night and you see thousands upon thousands upon thousands of stars, and some might say, well, I, any of those situations, <clears throat> are, are, they make me feel small. They make me feel so insignificant. And you know, that's a natural way uh, that you would take that because when you compare yourself to the mighty creation all around you, how else could you feel just naturally than small and insignificant. And I'm reminded of a story, and I I like this story by William Beebe, who was a friend of President Theodore Roosevelt. And Roosevelt was really an outdoor guy. And we thank Teddy Roosevelt uh, for many of our national parks and the whole idea and the schemes behind that. But anyway, uh, Beebe talks about having a conversation uh, with, with one another, and they had many of them. They were good friends. And he said, at Sycamore Hill, Theodore Roosevelt and I used to play a little game together. After dinner and an evening of talk, we'd go out on the lawn when it got dark and we'd search the skies until we found a faint spot of lightness beyond the lower left corner of the great square of Pegasus. And then one or the other of us would recite these words. This is a spiral galaxy in Andromeda. It is as large as our Milky Way. It is one of 100 million galaxies. It consists of 100 billion, billion with a B, suns, each sun much larger than our sun. And that was the end of the recitation. Then Roosevelt would grin and say, there, now I think we're small enough. Let's just go to bed. (laughs) You see, many people go through life and they just feel so small. They just feel so unnoticed. They just feel so insignificant with their lives. And Scripture tells us that nothing, and if we miss this, we've missed the rest of it, nothing could be further from the truth. And if we want to see where it's really expressed, then we want to camp for a while in Psalm 139. Because there, King David of Israel writes some amazing stuff. In this psalm, David celebrates this truth. And here's the truth. God knows you. That can be exciting. That can also be a little scary. (laughs) But God knows you. Let me say that again. God knows you. I didn't say God knew all of us. I didn't say God knew some, some people just really special in a way, a way that's uncommon. No, God knows you. You, you, and you. So how's he begin? Well, let's start reading right there in verse 1 of Psalm 139. And we're going to 
have it on the screen so we can all take a look at it and uh, read along with it. Psalm 139, verse 1 says, and here he is speaking to the Lord. This is another one of those great dialogues where, where, where David is just pouring out his heart. He said, you have searched me, Lord, and you Uh, just as a little note here for you, the word know is found seven times throughout this song of praise. It's not simply knowing about somebody, but it's knowing in an intimate knowledge. You know me sort of through and through. That's what David means. The God who created the majestic mountains and the billions of people and the galaxies in the sky, that's the personal God. That's him. That's the God who knows you. That's the God who knows me. Let's say that together. God knows me. God knows me. Mm. Now, it's important to keep in mind that David's not just waxing eloquent here. These aren't just some beautiful words based on wishful thinking. They're based on personal experience. And this is really great to be able to do this. But if you took your Bible and went back to First and Second Samuel and did some reading on your own, which I, I invite you to do, I think it'd be a great exercise, back away in the Old Testament, you'll see why David is able to write beautiful words such as these, because he had ex- experienced God's presence and God's faithfulness in his life again and again and again. Isn't the grace of God wonderful? Yeah. Now, David expounds on how much God knows him. That's what I love about Psalm 139. It doesn't seem to bother him at all, as it might when we look at our own sinfulness. He seems to delight in the truth that God knows him. Regardless of what he might have gone through, might be going through, might have experienced, or might be out in front of him, he's always aware of the fact that God knows him. And he's very encouraged by that. This is a psalm of praise. Praise is being lifted uh, to the God who's been good and faithful, who David knows full well, without any doubt. He's the God who loves him. And David says, God, you know me in a personal way. So now we're going to drop into verse 2, and I'm going to just follow with you uh, down uh, for about four or five verses. You know, you know, when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. And verse 3 says, you discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. It's getting real personal here. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord. Ooh. I, I hesitate reading that verse. You know it completely. Ooh. Verse 5, make it better. You hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. And such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too lofty for me to attain. So he says, not only do you love me, and you really love me a lot, much, 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 but you love me in a personal way. God, you know everything I do. You know when I sit down. You know when I rise up. You know my thoughts, whether they're happy or sad or contented or anxious or rattled or peaceful or loving or judgmental or pure or dirty. Or God knows my thoughts. God knows my path. He says, all the ways I go. He said, my going out, my coming in, you watch over me. Even when I'm working, when I'm on vacation, when I oper- how I operate at work, how I treat other people, what do I do at home, how I act, driving on the road. You know my path. You know my going. You know my coming. 
He even knows my talking. We just read it. He knows what I am going to say. He's so familiar with me. He knows what I'm going to say before I even say it. So what am I saying here? He knows what makes us tick. He's familiar with all my ways. He's familiar with all my actions. David said, you're familiar with all my thoughts. And you know, following Jesus, I have to say that as I look at David's words, it reminds me of Jesus' words in Luke 12 where he said, and I think uh, Pastor Todd alluded to this the other uh, week or so, he said, even the hairs on your head are all numbered. And, and that's not just symbolic, but it is very, very earth-shattering when you think of it, that he knows every minute detail of our lives. Nothing gets by him. And that's how well he knows you. Now, let's go down to verse 7, carry it through a few more verses, and see what else he knows. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you because the darkness isn't dark to God. There's no dark to God. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. So you can destroy that theory of, well, I'll just hide. I'll just get somewhere and close the door and turn the lights off, and (laughs) there's no dark, according to that verse, with God. No, why? Because he's everywhere. He knows where I am, and he's with me in all life situations. He said, you hem me in. I love those words. You hem me in behind and before, and then you lay your hand on me. That's a picture of the loving arms of God around David. A gentle, reassuring touch reminding him, David, you're not alone. You're not alone. You're not alone. I am with you. And David says, you always know where I am because you are everywhere. If I ascend to the heavens, you're there. If I make my place in the land of the dead, you're there. If I dwell at the outermost part of the sea, you're there. In the darkness and in the light, you're there. I wake in the morning, you're with me. In other words, up, down, east, west, day, night, God is with me. And it's like Paul said in Romans 8. He said much the same. He said, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation can separate us from the love of God that is ours in Jesus Christ. Nothing. And then David, in verse 13, goes on to say, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Somebody else heard that just a couple weeks ago in our message, didn't they? A man by the name of Jeremiah. We're going to come back to him. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. 
God wrote the story before we were even in the story. And that's why nothing surprises him. And that's why nothing shocks him. Not only do you know me, David said, but you're continually with me. Not only that, but you made me. Therefore, I am precious in your sight because I'm a creation of your hand. You knit me together in my mother's womb and I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm valuable to God. Yea, I'm the crown of God's creation. You know, we live in an amazing world. We really, really do. It's absolutely amazing. But do you know that the greatest of all creations is man himself, man or woman? The marvelous machine, precise and efficient in every way. You know, the body has its own chemical plant, more intricate than any man-built plant on earth. This plant changes food into living tissue. It causes growth of flesh and blood and bones and teeth. It's power for work. It's power for play. It's power for motion. It all comes from this amazing chemical processing plant called the body. It has its own automatic thermostat governed heating and cooling system. Ideally, keeping the body temp at about 37 degrees Celsius. And as you look up here this morning for just a moment, you're not actually seeing what you see with your, with your eyes. You're seeing with your brain. Now, let me just explain. The message is carried from that marvelous structure called the human eye. And let me also tell you that modern cameras today operate on the same basic principle as the human eye. And the sounds you're hearing right now are being played on a perfect little musical instrument inside your ear. Let me, let me tell you sometime about the liquid-filled cochlea and the sound waves and those tiny bones called the ossicles. Do you know those little bones do not change in size from the time we're born until the time we reach full adulthood? Incredible. Hey, what about the heart? Forcing blood through thousands of miles of blood vessels? Huh? Pumping some 1.5 U.S. gallons per minute? That's enough blood to fill more than 40, 50-gallon drums in a day. The basic chemicals in our bodies can be found in the dust of the earth. Yet do you know that dust of the earth, no matter how you form it, or how you hold it, or how you make it, cannot arrange, those cells cannot arrange themselves into cell tissues and into organs and into systems like we know as the human body. And, of course, the control center of the human body is the human brain. This is by far the most complex information management system in the universe. It is an intricate computer system. Information carried by nerves back and forth across the central nervous system. In just one human brain, hear this, there's probably more wiring and more electrical circuitry than in all the computer systems of the world together which prompted Isaac Asimov to write, and I quote, the human brain is the most complex and orderly arrangement of matter in the universe. End quote. Folks, we are infinitely more than the mere chemicals that form our physical bodies. For we are, each one of us, a special creation of God. The human body is God's masterpiece, and we are his his workmanship. 
We are the crown of his creation. And listen to this. He knows you, and you are not an accident. Now, you remember the story of Jeremiah, I hope. Just a couple of weeks ago, we got introduced to him, and he got introduced in a powerful way to God. And I want to just remind you of three things about Jeremiah that God told him. He said, you know, before you were born, God knew you. That's an amazing statement, but it's a true statement. I can't imagine getting to know anyone better than that. I say to someone, well, how long have you known that person? Well, that's my daughter. I've known her since she was born. And how old is she? Well, she's 52, so I've known her 52 years. That's pretty amazing, right? Or that's my kid, and he's 12, and I've known him since he was born. But I'm telling you, It's hard to imagine getting to know somebody even better than that. This is an amazing statement that before you were born, God knew you. Yeah, you might be struggling with that a little bit, and I I venture to guess that Jeremiah struggled with it too. Before you were ever born, God knew you. Not even your parents can say that. You say, well, well... uh, you know, you remember how excited you were when, you, went, you know, just before each of your children were born, you couldn't wait to see what they looked like. And you say, well, I already knew because they had those, gram- those whatever you call them, Instagrams that they took. And uh, I, you, you just saw a blob there. You didn't, see, you didn't see what that child looked like. You didn't know a whole lot about that child. But you couldn't wait to see that child, the most beautiful baby ever born, to see who they really were and what they really looked like. And for all that nine months inside that belly, you got so excited about them coming to meet you. I remember the first time in that L&D suite, you, you, you know, I, I introduced myself to that child and we couldn't wait to see what that child would be like and we couldn't wait to meet that child. But the Bible says this, before we were born, God knew us. That means before the doctor laid a hand on us in the hospital or wherever we were born, God knew us. And the word know here, it's interesting, carries with it a sense of relationship and approval. Mm. You may be wondering, like, why is it such a big deal that God knows us? Well, here's the big deal. That means if he knows us, he knows this very second what you're going through in life. If God knows us, that means we're not all alone. We, we, we cut ourselves off from the world sometimes and from help sometimes and from reality sometimes. But that's our own choosing. He knows that we're not all alone and neither do we need to be. Knowing that he knows you means that you have not been forgotten, forsaken, or cast aside. God knows the very trial that you're dealing with in life today. God knows the struggles that you're facing in life. We all have those struggles. Mine are not yours. Yours are not mine. We don't share those struggles and all say, okay, everybody that's struggling with this, over here, and everybody that's struggling with that, back there. and every, That's not how it works, folks. We all have our own struggles, inward and external. 
We just have to face them. God knows the temptations that you come up against. God knows your family situation. And and he's promised us he'll never leave us and he'll never forsake us. And he knows all about your financial dilemma. And he's concerned about you. And he knows you. And he's not going to leave you. And he hasn't forgotten. He knows your street address. He knows the number. Remember that in Luke 12? He knows the number of hairs on your head. And before you accepted him as your Savior, that you know that there's a God that knows who you are and knows what you have need of and wants to meet those every needs. And he knows us so well, he knows what's best for us. Hey, even better than we do. And God sees the life that you've come out of, but he also sees the life that you're going into. Listen, knowing that God knows us should give us confidence. Second thing that Jeremiah learned is before you were born, God set you apart. He certainly set Jeremiah apart. That means God had a specific purpose in mind for Jeremiah before he was ever born. In Jeremiah's case, he was set apart for the purpose of being a prophet. He was born with a certain task. He was created to perform that task. Well, good for Jeremiah. Let's hear it for Jeremiah. Way to go, Jeremiah. Well, well, wait. Each person in this room or listening to this message, no exceptions, was created for a specific reason too. Each person in this room was created on purpose for a purpose. And that indicates to me... And I'm glad to say this, that no one on the face of this planet, there's no one on the face of this planet who is a mistake. Nobody accidentally came into this world and slipped by. Hey, let's just go out the door right here now because the pastor won't know I'm here. That doesn't happen with God. And I'm just joking about that. That's fine. I shouldn't block the door anyway. It's not safe. Be honest about that a little side. I don't go to the door. I go to the middle of the welcome center, and I get pushed back to the door. Right out the door sometimes. I get the point. I, I, got, I got the message. See, some parents may not have expected you. Say, well, uh, I've heard them say that. I've heard parents say this. Well, he was an accident. He wasn't planned. Nothing in the, on the planet could be farther from the truth. Of course he was planned, and of course he's not an accident. Because God had you in mind before you were ever born. And not only did he have you in mind, but he had a purpose for you in mind when you came into this world. And I think, personally, this is a message people need to hear. I really do. We hear so much today about people. Oh, you, oh yeah, he's no good. Oh, they've told me enough times I know I'm no good. I could never be any good. Some people hear that they're a mistake. Some people hear that there's no purpose in life for them. That's not what God says. God says that you are created for a God-given purpose. And there's a reason you're here. And God made it very clear in Jeremiah's life that he was here for a purpose. He even said this to Jeremiah. And if you don't have a life verse, take this one. I ask you to take this one. Jot it down, look it up, put it up somewhere prominently, and memorize it and say, this 
From this day forward is my life, verse Jeremiah 29, 11. These are the words of God. He said, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans, oh, I love this, I love this, I love this, plans to give you hope and a future. Let's quit living today under the shadow of yesterday and let's start living with hope and a future not provided by who we are or what we do or how great we are, but by God's grace and what God has in store for the purpose for our lives. I believe that God wants to encourage somebody every time we get together. I don't know who the somebody is. I don't know what the somebody's doing. I'm not God and God doesn't consult me on these things. And even if he did, I can't do anything to allay your fears or help your healing or get over your discouragement. But there's somebody, there's somebody here today. And I want you to know that God has a plan for your life and he wants you to be encouraged. I want you to know he doesn't want you to throw in the towel. I want you to know that he doesn't want you to give up and not serve him any longer. I want you to know that today he has a plan to prosper you and not to harm you. He wants to be part of your life. It's not God that harms us. It's not God that beats us up. It's not God that hurts us. He wants us to prosper. It's not God who gives us a picture of a dim future. He wants to give us hope and a wonderful future. You say, well, I haven't had a great past. No, well, all the more reason to seek a great and bright future, right? Yeah. The rest of your life starts today. And it can be filled with the fulfillment of his promises. God knows you. God knows you. God knows you. And he set you apart for his purpose. So many times we don't realize that God has a plan for our lives. And so we try to fill those lives up with our own stuff. huh? And that leaves us empty. Some people filling up their lives with things that they, they, they think are making them full and satisfied. And filling our lives with work and filling our lives with material things. and Filling our lives up with things that are physically kind of make us feel good or feel successful or whatever. And then we kind of feel full for a while. But as time goes on, we're going to discover those things don't actually make us full. They don't actually give us a well-balanced full life. In fact, in the end, they leave us empty. Very empty. Very hungry. Very starving. Very needy. Here's the good news. Jesus came to fill us up. Here's what he said in John 10.10. I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. The word abundant is in reference to being Filled to the brim and overflowing. One word, overfilled. There's no way a person can have an abundant life if they feel that there's no real purpose and there's no real meaning in their life. They'll never feel stuffed until they know their purpose. They'll never feel satisfied. They'll always come up empty. Third thing that Jeremiah learned. 
We started with Jeremiah. We're going to kind of wrap this part with Jeremiah and then come back to David because it's such a sweet story. But the third thing Jeremiah learned was that God appointed you. He knew you before you were born. He set you apart. And thirdly, he appointed you. Here's what he said, Jeremiah 1.5. Before I formed you in the womb, see, same words again that David used in Psalm 139. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you. That's an underlying kind of word as a prophet to the nations. Now, according to Webster, the word uh, appoint means to assign officially, to equip, or to furnish. I like all those words. So we could read this scripture this way and do it no harm. I assigned you as a prophet to the nations, which would equal I will equip or I will furnish you to be a prophet to the nations. See, God hardly gave Jeremiah any say in the matter. Another very important thing to note. God appointed Jeremiah to be a prophet before he was even born. He equipped him to be a prophet before he was even born. What an amazing thought. Jeremiah could have thought, whoa, 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 wait just a minute. Don't be so quick here to tell me what I'm going to do. I've got my, the hue and cry of today is, I've got my rights. Nobody has their rights. Where do we get all that stuff? I know where we get it, and I know where it came from. Aren't you glad you didn't get your rights? I deserve, aren't you glad you didn't get what you deserve? Brother. So he could have said to God, whoa, 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 wait, I got my rights here. I don't think anybody's going to tell me what I'm going to do. I'll make some decisions and I can make them on my own. He never did say that, by the way, but he could have. Or he might even have been thinking it, but he didn't say it. And I'll tell you why, because that kind of thinking is backwards. And You know, I'm just, I've just attacked the world's uh, philosophy, the whole, the whole idea of humanism. I just attacked it all in one fell swoop. But that's exactly what the Word of God does. That's exactly what the Bible does. Everything that the world thinks is completely backwards, according to the Bible, according to the Word of God. That thinking is backwards. Like, hands off, God, I've got my own life, and I've got my own rights, and I should have some freedom, and I'm going to make my own decision. I'm going to go my own way. Mm. That's where we say, God was created for me. He was created for me. I can call out for help when I need Him. I can call out and ask Him to grant my wishes. He's created for me. And the Bible makes, that's the world's philosophy. And the Bible makes it very clear. We're created for God to do with us as he chooses. Now, isn't that different? God's not created for us. We're created for him. And in Jeremiah 18.6 is the greatest illustration you could ever see, ever hear, ever read. Here he is again talking to Jeremiah. Oh, house of Israel, he said, I cannot do with you as this potter. Can I not do with you as this potter does? Good question. Of course you can. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. If you ever want to know who's in charge, go to the potter's house. 
Think about it for a minute. Does a beautiful, gorgeous ceramic bowl get that way because it chose to be a bowl? Beautiful and gorgeous. Absolutely no. It becomes a bowl because that's what the potter wanted it to be. Now you might say, what if I don't want to become what God wants me to become? And I will have to interject here, and I'm not contradicting myself. That's your choice. Because he will never make you do something that you don't want to do. You don't have to conform. Again, go to the potter's house. If the potter gets a piece of clay on the wheel that doesn't conform to the image that he wants it to conform to, he takes the clay, he does one of two things. He either breaks it down, starts over, reshapes it, or he altogether throws it out. And the day we decide that's how we're going to live life is the day we'll miss out on being a productive vessel. I think this is one of the reasons so many people are miserable in life. I don't think, I'm, I guarantee you, that's exactly what I believe. So many people feel a void in their lives because they're not doing what they were created to do. They're not being who they were created to be. And the end result of that is always frustration. Before you were born, God appointed you to do a certain task. Now the question is, are you willing to fulfill that the calling that God has on your life. So now back to Psalm 139, this great song, and it ends with David always breaking into praise. I want to go down to verse 17 now, if I may, and read a couple verses. How precious to me, now he's praising God. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, They would outnumber the grains of sand, and when I awake, I'm still with you. Oh, I'm praising you, God. Oh, I'm lifting you up. I'm saying how precious you are. I can't think enough thoughts to even measure up to the wonder of your love. Your thoughts about me are innumerable. They're so precious to me, God. And then I'm just jumping a couple of verses down to verse 21, I believe it is. And read a few more verses. We're going to just, we're, I, want to, I, I don't want to do any disservice to this great uh, Psalm 139. So I'm going to ask you to read it yourself sometime the next day or two. And just get the whole intent of what's happening here. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord? And abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I mean, David's on, he's on God's side now. I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. If they hate you... I hate them. Search me, God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive or wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. What what an end to a song. What a wonderful thing. What, What a great message here. He says, God, I'm with you. I'm with you all the way. Everybody who hates you or puts your name down, I hate. I surrender to you. You're the boss. You're my commander. Just search my heart, God. Make me what you want me to be, and then just lead me, and I'll follow you into the way everlasting. What a wonderful thing. This is a love song. David loves this God who first loved him. How can a God... You ever thought this? You ever just sat down and thought this, or maybe said it to yourself? How can a God 
who has made all these wonderful things by his own creative hand be known in a personal way. We all know what personal is. He is so supreme. He is so powerful. Can we know him personally? Well, here's what the scripture says. We can know him personally. It's a tough truth for a lot of people, I tell you. If you're trying to convince somebody of this, you may have a difficult time. They'll say, well, what do you mean a personal relationship with God? The maker of this whole universe. I know sometimes when I talk to people about God and their relationship with Him, I'll ask them if they believe in God. Oh, yeah, sure, I believe there's a God. There's, I know we're not on solid ground when I get that answer. I know there's a God. I want to say, don't patronize me. Just, do you believe in God? What do you believe about God? So, so I said, okay, well, if you believe in God or a God, what do you believe about God? Well, I believe, I think, I, I believe he made me. And he made all the stuff, and he provides me with my home and my family. And whenever I'm in trouble, I shout out to him. Okay? But then can I ask you this? Does he speak to you? Does he relate to you? Does he ever make himself known to you? And very frequently, the response I get is, well, no, not really. Oh, may, well, no, Bob, no, not totally. Maybe like in nature. In his creation, I suppose, he kind of speaks to me. Okay, we're halfway there. But isn't it sad? Because that's not what God intended for you. You were created to enjoy God, how? In a personal way, not in a, a, a general corporate way, not in an, un, an impersonal way or some professional way, but in a personal way. He created you as an intimate, close relationship. Just like he created David, he invites us, his creations, to walk with him and to come to him for strength and for guidance and for rest and for forgiveness of our sins. Thank God. And when God steps into a person's life like that and the relationship becomes personal, it's not a crushing thing that pins us to the wall that happens to us. Instead, it fills us with confidence and it fills us with assurance and it fills us with joy unspeakable and full of glory. How many have ever heard the word or the name C.S. Lewis? Okay. Known to many, Christian and non-Christian people. There's a book about his life. I don't know how many of you know he was an atheist, very strong atheist, who then became a very strong agnostic, who then became a believer in Jesus Christ and one of the great Christian apologists of his time, still being quoted probably from hundreds of pulpits and lecterns to this day. Oh, by the way, the title of his book, Surprised by joy. Hmm. Isn't that great? See, as you come to know God in a personal way, you too will be surprised by joy. You see, God knows you, and He wants to have a personal relationship with you. And He wants to give you a song to sing just like He gave David. And when we consider the vastness of creation, and it is vast, and we can't really get it through our minds. We can't really get our minds around how vast it is. But just that very fact means 
He's an all-powerful and wonderful and great God. And we start to begin to feel, oh, it's so big and he's such a huge God. And how can we feel personal? How can we feel anything but small and insignificant? But let me tell you, God has something different to tell us about that because he knows you. Now stay with me. And you can know him. That's the beauty. God revealed the answer to the question in the person of his son, Jesus. Jesus stepped into our world and he announced, He who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus died on a cross to pay for our sins. Jesus died in order to restore me into the personal relationship I've just been talking about with the God of the universe who made me and loved me and knew all about me before I was ever born. Wow. Then God raised Jesus up from the dead and he promises that all who trust in his son, the Lord Jesus, can have that personal relationship with him. Stay with me for all of eternity. (laughs) Wow, thank you, Jesus. And after we invite him into our lives and really mean business, then he wants to speak to us. And when he does, you know what he'll do? He'll reveal more of his nature to us through his word. And we'll read the Bible and it will make sense and we'll, it'll be personal. And it's like we're getting a new letter every day from him. And as we reflect on his word each day, he draws us closer to himself and he builds us up and he makes us aware of all of his wisdom and all of his grace, which is available to us, thank God. And also of his presence and his love for each of us. And as we keep our daily appointment with him to meet him in prayer, we soon discover what it means to have a personal relationship with the God who made us, who sent his own son to die for us and then raised him to life everlasting. And then he breathes the power of his Holy Spirit into our lives and he draws us close to himself. Wow. Wow. He brings us into that relationship He corresponds with us on a regular basis through his word. We have any time, all the time appointments with him in prayer. And then he fills us with his Holy Spirit for power, for direction, for peace, for usefulness, that we might continue to be drawn closer to him. Oh, it's true, it's true, it's true. We have a very, very, very big God. Remember we used to sing the song with the kids? Our God is so big, so strong, it's mighty. Nothing my God cannot do. How true that is. Look, he created the galaxies. Not just those little twinkly stars we see every night by the millions and billions, but millions and billions of galaxies with more millions and billions of stars. Wow, he's mighty. He made a very big world. He made a very big universe. But know this. Don't ever forget this. He knows you. You say, how much does he know me, really? How much does he know me? Does he know my name? Yes. Does he know who my parents were? Yes. Does he know where I live? Yes, even the street address. How much does he really know me? I'll tell you, this is how much. This is about as theological a thing as you'll ever hear. If he had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. 
You telling me that the people on your refrigerator don't mean something to you? Huh. I know better. I know better. If our refrigerator door ever falls off, it won't matter because all the pictures will keep it together. Jesus says that God even wants us to address him in a new way. He wants us to call him Father. Abba, Daddy. That just sends tingles up my spine. Now, if you ask me, that's a personal God. I'm going to close this little series. I don't like to leave it, really, because Jeremiah and David are two of my favorite people. But they've taught us a lot. And we've got a lot to absorb here. But I'm going to close this series with a song that I just like very, very much. It's not a new song by any means. But it does capture the essence of what David is sharing with us in Psalm 139. And, you know, I've been awkward for about 24 hours trying to think of what I could say to close this message. And I've asked for the song to be sung, and it's going to be. I'm going to ask that you remain seated for this song until we get ready for the uh, worship team to come and lead us later. If you're in the room today, would you, would you do me a favor and make this place an altar of prayer? In other words, wherever you're seated, you may want to stand, you may want to kneel, you may want to just bow your head, you may want to get with a friend. I don't know what your need is. I don't know your situation. I don't know what kind of burdens you might have come in with, what kind of questions you have in your mind. I don't know where you are spiritually. Those aren't decisions for me to make. But you know, and God knows. So let's make this big room an altar of prayer this morning. Pray with one another or for one another. Mostly, though, if you're here with a need, stand, kneel, sit, whatever, and be in prayer. And then I want to pray with you when the song ends. Be in prayer because he knows my name. Thank you for listening.
He sees each tear that falls and hears me when I call. I have a father. He calls me his own. He'll never leave me, no matter where I go. He knows my name. He knows my every thought. He sees each tear that falls and hears me when I call. He knows my name. He knows my every thought. He sees each tear that falls and he hears me when. Father, Father God, we come to you this morning with our needs, with our praise, with our very souls. We thank you that you hear us. We thank you that you love us. We thank you for the surprise of joy. We thank you for the purpose of life. And we thank you for always being there. Take our thoughts, our actions, our concerns, our failures, our losses, our victories. Take it all, Lord, and transform it by your power into something worthy of your name. And we'll be careful to give you the praise and the glory. For we pray in Jesus' most powerful name. And all the church said. Thank you. Oh, stories of what they think you're like, but I've heard a tender whisper of love in the dead of night, and you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never alone. You're a good, good father. It's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am, it's who I am, 
It's who I am. Oh, I've seen. 